With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Yep, that's how we start the episode. Great. That's not even going to name the podcast. Just hoodabadoopadoo. Well, we can't start with ho 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 because uh, Santa Claus was murdered at the beginning of the first episode. He was. He was murdered by Paul Schaefer, who just zoomed in to shoot him in a river with a bunch of kids watching. Ah, Paul Schaefer. Um, The audience can't see, but I'm shaking my head disapprovingly. Mm -hmm. At you, yes. at Paul Schaefer? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but not the Paul Schaefer who had a Nazi cult in Chile. The Paul Schaefer who worked on, who was Letterman's band leader for years. Yeah. That, that's that's the one. Um, he, he shot Santa Claus, too, in a lake. Uh, so, <clears throat> Margaret Killjoy, how are you? I'm good. You good? How are you, how are you liking the Tupamaros? Uh, you know, I'm like, I keep... I'm really excited to see how it plays out. Yeah, yeah, they're because, they're <laughs> endearing. Yeah, yeah, but and and then even like the fact that one of them ends up president—that's like both interest. It's interesting in so many complicated ways yeah. that I like. I want to see the steps that took them there. Yes, because uh, this does not happen often. Sometimes guerrilla insurgents win their insurgency and then become the president or whatever. Sometimes guys who are like labor organizers or like leftist politicians get imprisoned by a dictatorship and then later become the president. Rarely is a guy robbing banks with a handgun and then gets democratically elected president of the country, like after spending years in a in a dictatorship's prison cells. That right. is not a common story. You don't run but- into that all the time time how much did he change i don't know you know yeah, that's all what we're that, getting like, into it's yeah. exciting yeah i'm excited so by 1975 the military had successfully rolled over and destroyed the tupamaro 1972 when the dictatorship comes into place is when they start like going hardcore cracking down and by 75 everybody's dead or in prison mostly in prison and one of the people who was thrown in prison was our friend and future president, Jose Musica. Uh, he was actually captured several times. He was arrested. He was like imprisoned like four separate times. He broke out of prison at least once. Um, but like the, th- the thing he finally gets caught for is he's like drinking in a bar after, you know, robbing a bank or something. And a cop who's there in plain clothes recognizes him and gets a bunch of other cops. And they have a huge shootout in a bar. And he gets shot six times and survives. <laughs> So, again, when we're when I when I say this guy was like hardcore, like you can't you can't be much more committed than getting shot six times in a gunfight with the police. Um, yeah, like as I a can't revolutionary, cred, I can't use cred to bring him down. You know, no, like, oh, you sell out. Like I don't you know. certainly can't. Yeah, um, I got shot so, with a rubber bullet once. 
Yeah, 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 same. <laughs> but yeah. this is a little <laughs> bit more hardcore than that. Um, <laughs> and he is one of the last Tupamaros who gets captured and locked up. And by the time he gets locked up, he's fairly high like in the organization right he's in again he's kind of because in part because he's one of the last ones to get to get captured um and so he's put in prison for well over a decade and i'm going to quote from a write-up in the guardian to describe like what his time in the dictatorship's prison is like the poet, novelist, and playwright Mauricio Rosenkopf spent 11 years in a tiny cell next to Musica. For many years, Rosenkopf told me, the hostages could only communicate by tapping Morse code on their cell walls. Allowed to use the toilet just once a day, they urinated into their water bottles, allowing the sediment to settle and drinking the rest, because water was also scarce. It was even worse for Musica, whose bullet wounds had seriously damaged his guts. Solitary confinement drove them half mad. Pepe became, and that's Jose's nickname, became convinced that a bugging device was hidden in the, in the ceiling. Its imaginary static deafened him. He would put stones in his mouth to stop himself from screaming, Rosenkopf, now 81, told me. Musica fought to obtain the one item he needed most, a potty. Hostages were allowed occasional family visits, so Donna Lucy bought it, brought him one, but the guards refused to give it to him. One day, when his jailers held a party, Musica began to scream for it. The commandant, embarrassed in front of his guests, relented. Musica clung to his sole possession, a symbol of victory over his jailers, each time they were moved to a new army camp. He refused to scrub it clean, Rosenkopf recalled. We all have ticks left from that time. When Pepe came out, he came out with all that baggage. So he is... <clears throat> And some people, some sources kind of frame him getting the toilet as like this victory, him being able to get the one thing he could, the one like way to exert his autonomy was to force them to give him his own toilet. Some people frame it as him like losing his mind a little bit and just becoming obsessed with the idea of having a toilet. Both are probably true. Um, they don't need to, those don't need to be in conflict with each other. There's yeah, no way. Like I think you would have to go a, a little crazy in specific ways to survive 14 years, which is what he spends in a prison like this, where you're tortured and beaten and starved regularly. Um, you don't, you don't survive that by not changing at all. <laughs> you know, like that is, um, <clears throat> yeah, he does what he has to. He survives. Uh, he's imprisoned for 14 years. If you're wondering how he stayed sane during that time, in his own words, uh, we have an interview conducted by someone from the site Upside Down World with Musica that sheds some light on how he claims he kept himself uh, sane. Quote, I would come up with ideas for tools. I mentally invented farm implements. That would be for this or that. I calculated them, manufactured them mentally, and so kept myself entertained. I walked several miles a day, more than I do today, for sure. And then the journalist asked, in the hole? Because he's in like this basically a dank hole. And he said, oh yes, three steps one way, three steps the other, three steps one way, three steps to the other, until my legs hurt. Like That's how he avoids losing his mind in in this prison it was the early 1980s uh when cracks finally started to form around the dictatorship some of the credit for this goes to the men and women on the legal left the same people who'd formed the frente amplio they continued to organize and agitate and in 1984 people took to the streets in mass um it protesting the dictatorship and it was such a, a significant number of people that the dictatorship like backs down, basically realizes like we we either are going to start killing people in mass in the street or we're not going to have a dictatorship anymore. And if we kill people in mass in the street, I'm not sure we'll win. And so I'm not going to gamble, I think is kind of what happens. Right. Um, and the liberal, the, the kind of the dictatorship's end is negotiated in large part by the leader of kind of the liberal party, uh, Julio Sanguinetti, um, who helps to negotiate an end to the dictatorship. And he gets elected president next in a peaceful election. And one of his first decisions is to push for an amnesty that frees imprisoned leftist radicals like Musica, while also providing amnesty to the military leaders who'd run the dictatorship. So Sanguinetti is like, we're going to release all the Tupamaros. We're also not going to imprison the military because I think the attitude is, number one, you have to leave them. We're trying to get them to back down without mass bloodshed in the streets. So you have to leave them an exit plan. And I also think it's his ad. The attitude is like, well, if we just imprison another group of people, then maybe we'll have a cycle where a new regime comes in it imprisons the old regime and like that doesn't like i don't know how yeah. much of it is like trying to give the military an out and how much of it is trying to stop a cycle of reprisals but that's what they decide to do um it's better than most 
you know, actually getting the political yeah. prisoners freed is better mm. than most movements. Better than most like movements. And it, it's, it's, I mean, obviously it's controversial, not prosecuting the military and actually they do start to prosecute and currently are to some extent, some people who like the, some of the worst people, but initially it's just like, yeah, let's uh, amnesty kind of for everybody involved in that whole thing. Let's try to put it behind us. Um, now, Sanguinetti, who's kind of the first post-dictatorship president, is also one of the people who blames the Tupamaros for the coming of the dictatorship, one of the Uruguayans who does. Uh, his claim for this, uh, like, he, one of the things he says in an interview I found is that, like, the bullets that Mujica and the other Tupamaros fired were shots against democracy because they led to the dictatorship. Um, and he, as Jose gets out of prison and gets into politics, he does not like uh, Mujica. Um, I found some <laughs> quotes from him in a Guardian article, and I think at least some of his issue with the Tupamaros is that he's not a leftist for one thing. He's kind of like more maybe center left, you could say, but he's not like, I don't think he's a far leftist. Um, and I think some of his frustration comes from the fact that when the dictatorship ends um, and politics starts up again, the Frente Amplio comes back um, and it starts siphoning votes away from the liberal Colorado party, uh, Sanguinetti's party. <laughs> uh -huh. um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time like digging into Uruguay and electoral politics because I don't understand them well. Um, again, I, I cite two scholarly papers you can read that go into a lot of detail about Uruguayan electoral politics. Uh, I would recommend reading that if you want to know it better. Um, but it is interesting to me that um, to kind of look into which groups of people had issues with the fact that Jose Mujica, when he gets into politics, was a former Tupamaro and which people didn't. Because like Sanguinetti, this guy who, to his credit, helps end the dictatorship dislikes Mujica and the Tupamaros and blames them for the coming of the dictatorship. You know who doesn't blame them and who in fact votes for Mujica when uh, he won wins the presidency. Is it the products and services that support the show? No, it's not time for that. Oh, you remember how I read that story last episode about like that guy who as a kid with his like wheelchair bound sister, Jose, like robbed the family the and threatened to guy. murder his dad. Yeah. He votes for him for president later. <laughs> he's like, yeah, we'll talk about that a little more, but he's like, yeah, I think he's, he's probably a good candidate. I'm not angry at him, which is <laughs> gave me my typewriter back. That says something about how polite a robber you are. If like later someone votes for you to be president and imagine <laughs> that being your back story like in mm -hmm. in the united states being like yeah you know when i was six joe biden robbed my house at gunpoint and threatened to kill my stepdad <laughs> no instead biden does all these other crimes that are far grosser way grosser yeah i mean mujica was at least uh front and center with whatever he was doing you know um yeah. So we talked earlier about how the Tupamaros are characterized by how flexible they are, how good they are at pivoting from different things and not really staying locked into things that one tendency or another would require of them kind of mm -hmm. ideologically. Um, and they do this again. They, they, they don't they, they, they get out of prison or at least, you know, because some of them are just like underground hiding, but like they're able to be public again and they form a political party and join the Frente Amplio again. Um, and so, yeah, the uh, old Tupamaros start getting into electoral politics. Politics. And the Tupamaro who is like at the forefront of pushing for the party to get into electoral politics is Jose Mujica. Um, right. And I'm going to quote from the New Republic here. As the group readjusted to freedom, most of its members wanted to avoid returning to guerrilla warfare, though what course to pursue instead was unclear. Right wingers still maintained control over much of the government. Mujica argued for an entry into traditional party politics and staged public forums known as Matedas, confabs held in village squares over calabash gourds full of strong mate tea. He'd retained his childhood egalitarian passions, but prison had made him more philosophical and deepened his rough-hewn physical allure. He rapidly developed a following among poorer workers, and in the mid-90s entered Parliament. Then, in 2005, he received an appointment as Agriculture Minister. It was in that post that Mujica won national acclaim, speaking in almost biblical terms about how government policies affected the common man. For post-dictatorship Uruguay, his language was healing, a triumphant return to the country's traditional values of humility and shared responsibility. Mujica's biggest fight as Agriculture Minister was to ensure poor Uruguay Uruguayans' access to asado, the traditional dish of beef rib grilled over an open fire. 
Unable to afford the meat, the lower classes often ate less expensive cuts off the neck. Neck is unacceptable, Mujica told a reporter. When some butchers began selling more affordable asado, people lovingly nicknamed it Asado del Pepe. A 2007 poll showed that he'd become far and away the country's most liked government official, and he decided to run for president. And like, that is such a heartwarming, just being like, wait, poor people, yeah. like, uh, this is our traditional dish that we I grew up eating, and you're telling me people are like, eating, using shit meat for it? Now, that is unfucking acceptable like poor people deserve to eat well too and i'm gonna fight for that shit um obviously people loved him (laughs) yeah where's the catch well we'll talk about that it's not perfect like it's not perfect um and we we are going to i think like primarily today we'll be talking about the catch and the degree to which Mm -hmm. he i mean what is sold out or whatever you want to talk about it like we're yeah well Mm -hmm. i'm excited uh, i'm excited to have a conversation about that with you yeah. So he ran for president in 2009, and he immediately made a massive impact on Uruguay's urban poor, um, just because of the way he presented himself, not even in terms of policy yet, because the policy impact part is more debatable. But um, he has this big impact in fact, part because he, he dresses, he's not in a suit, he's not dressing like a politician, he's not dressing like a, he refuses to wear a tie. Um, right. He is often seen at public events in sandals, and like, he would wear dirty jumpers, like at first, his, like, he had, they had to like, kind of fight with him to get him to wear at least like okay you can wear like just a shirt but a clean one right like and he's like dragging his potty around yeah Yeah, he's got (laughs) his potty with him um he met poor people where they lived and he was particularly famous for asking meaningful questions about their lives not like do you support this policy but like Mm -hmm. asking like very pointed material questions about what they had access to and how they were doing um he also ranted in his public speeches against consumerist capitalism which he said wasted human strength on quote frivolities that have little to do with human happiness jose was elected president in 2009 and on paper his term is a left liberal wet dream under his presidency uruguay legalized gay marriage marijuana and abortion which is pretty good for four years right yeah yeah and it's not like a like a great i guess you could say it's not like the ideal abortion policy it's legalizing i think up to 12 weeks but like Mm -hmm. from a point of this is a catholic country and you can't do it that's like a huge that's a big that's a that's a a thing like that's worth celebrating um and also just like being down with gay rights when we he was talk like about a, that. a 60s revolutionary. Yeah. Yeah. We will talk like about that. Yeah. Not guaranteed. Not a guarantee. Uh, now, these are the cliff notes of Jose's presidency. And so you can see what like mm-hmm. The Guardian says. It's the most radical president in the world. Now, when you get into the weeds a little bit, it is less radical. Well, in some ways, less radical seeing. It's certainly in some ways like it's more complicated. But I also think it's a lot more interesting if you look at like his motivations for things. Let's take gay marriage, right? Mm-hmm. Um his support of gay rights because a, a decent critical piece on Mujica and I've read a number will note rightly that he should not be credited with bringing gay marriage to Uruguay because activists have been working for decades to get to that point, you know, which is always the case when gay marriage gets legalized, right? That's the case with Obama too. Like I don't give him credit for it other than the fact that he was the guy who decided not to fight it anymore. Right. You know, um, I think Mujica gets a little more credit than I would give Obama for this, maybe um, telling the press, quote, they fit uh, about his like gay rights, marriage rights. They those rights fit our sense of freedom and human rights, but they don't solve the basic problem, which is the difference of class. And that's what you'll see is like, I'm happy to legalize gay rights. I don't think this solves the problem, which is pr- primarily a class problem. He'll say a lot like, look, the issue like it, it, it's important for people to have rights. I believe in people having freedom. But also, if you look at it, rich people were always free to be gay. This is something he says in, yeah, yeah. in like interviews. A number rich people have always been able to be gay and pretty much live life the way they wanted it's if you're if you're a gay woman a poor woman um you know an indigenous gay person like if you're not part of the Mm -hmm. upper class that's when it becomes a problem and so he sees gay rights as primarily part of the class struggle is the thing that he always emphasizes in his interviews so it's interesting Um, because he's not doing full class reductionism no there's actually tiny issues in he's actually doing better than a huge chunk. <laughs> he really is. States radical left at the moment. And it's interesting because when it comes to Jose's personal views, one Uruguayan sex health activist called him a bit Cro-Magnon. Um, and he refers to, when he refers to gay people, he calls them sexually ambivalent. Um, which, <laughs> you know, he was born in 1935, right? <laughs> like, yeah. I, you could call me sexually ambivalent. Yeah. I feel like. <laughs> 
like I don't, it's I not offensive it's just people, kind but. of weird and it's clear he's just like i don't really get this but like my default is that people should have more freedom so yeah let's let's do it you know <laughs> like i think that's kind of his attitude is like i don't understand this at all but like it's a question of rights and people should always have more rights yeah. um which is fine. And it is worth noting that the, so before Mujica gets elected, the broad front elects another president. The first president, the broad front elects is a guy named Vasquez, who is a mm-hmm. very left-wing dude in a lot of ways. And we'll talk about him a bit more, but he's also very Catholic. And again, like liberation theology and stuff. So he mm-hmm. had, despite being the lefty president right before Mujica, he vetoed a lot to get legalized gay marriage during his term. And so again, right. and abortion too, probably. I don't, I'm, I don't know as much about that, but okay. um, I don't know if like the fight to legalize abortion was at mm-hmm. enough of a point during his presidency where he could. I'm not yeah. really sure. Um, but I think you should say, don't give this guy all the credit. There's a lot of activists, but also the last guy who was on the left vetoed this. So it's not no credit that Mujica gets, especially I always give credit to like a, a, an old dude who clearly doesn't understand anything about it other than that people are being restricted from a thing. And it's like, well, that's bad. Like, there's a degree to which I just inherently respect a man who's willing to say, I'm old, I don't understand things anymore, but my default is always give people more freedom. So that's where I (laughs) land on this. That's a really good way to approach aging and not understanding issues is just trying to be like, all right, well, what about like, where, where, what is, yeah, I I think that's admirable. Um, You know what else is admirable, Margaret? Uh, No, I, I have no idea. The products and services that support this podcast. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. Very admirable. Admiration will be available from everybody. Yeah. For nine ninety five. <laughs> the evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild minigames. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. My favorite spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. Wow, how have I been living like this? It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless, when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Wow, how have I been affording this? It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash behind. That's mintmobile.com slash behind. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash behind. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. 
Ah, we're back. So, um, when it comes to how Mujica talks about legalizing gay marriage, how he talks about, like, how he deals with, like, when people, like, especially, like, foreign journalists credit him with this is is really interesting. And I want to read a quote from him on that subject um, and some other things from that Guardian article. Quote, All we are doing is recognizing something as old as humanity, Mujica said. The best thing is that people can live as they want to live. And that's his, like, attitude to, like, why did you, which is, I think, very admirable. Yeah. He sees those twice punished by poverty and intolerance as the real victims. Those who are sexually ambivalent have a real problem if they are poor. If they are rich, they are tolerated. That sounds crude, but it's the truth as I see it, he said. And the women most discriminated against are those in poverty. Machismo hits hardest at the lowest levels. Poor girls are not well treated by our society. There are women who end up abandoned with lots of children. For me, that is one of the most important battles for fairness. Um... Yeah. And, and during his presidential campaign, he was caught complaining about, quote, intellectual women who think they are downtrodding, but who talk about their compañera or cleaning lady when she is really the servant, which I love that he makes that distinction. Where he's like, there's a lot uh-huh. of rich women complaining about like how they're not treated equally, who also have a lady who's basically their slave. Um, like, I don't think that's cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's he's. <laughs> It's hard to argue with the things he says, at least, you yeah, know, he probably tips well, you know, yeah, like I, he goes out to a restaurant, probably tips well. We are. Uh, yeah, we're actually getting to that in a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the fact that Pepe is a quasi anarchist militant president who legalized pot might lead you to lead you to expect that, like, he's does a lot of pot. Uh, he's mm-hmm. never smoked marijuana. And I will believe that from a guy who legalized it like a lot of times. It's like, OK, <laughs> well, you're probably just and he's like, no, he, he's fine with it being legal. He just doesn't want to do it. Um, he's, yeah. he's, he's adi- heavily addicted to tobacco and he drinks a lot. But I don't think he's he's ever smoked pot. He says he hasn't. Um, but and, and his he's not like pro weed culture. He just thinks prohibition has been a failure. And there's also a big element of like why he's legalizing pot is to take money away from drug cartels because there's a major it's essentially like a cocaine derivative problem in Uruguayan slums Mm -hmm. that his government was fighting. And so he is not anti the drug war entirely. And this is, I think, one of the areas in which I would disagree with him because his attitude is, I think we should legalize the drugs that are not harmful in his view um, right. to deny cartels money and we should fight them selling what is basically crack. Um, which like, I'm not pro crack. Uh, it's pretty nasty stuff, but I, I don't think prohibition works there either. Again, he's right. not a perfect man. Um, but this is, I think his attitude towards it. I'm also not an expert on Uruguay's crack cocaine problem, so I'm not going to pontificate there either. Um, and his attitude in general towards drug use seems to be that at least from a user perspective, people, uh, his, one of the quotes he gave is we want to take users out of hiding and create a situation where we can say you are overdoing it. You have to deal with that. So it's a very like Scandinavian attitude towards how drugs should be treated, um, which of like the ways Western countries deal with drug use is the most reasonable that kind of states tend to embrace um so whatever you can think about that the way you do uh but it's nuanced it's not just like he's not just pro-drugs he's he is he does support some kinds of drug war um i think the place where jose mujica is most impressive is in the ways in which he actually does live because it's one thing to say all this stuff he really Mm -hmm. does live in concert with his values for example he speaks all the time about the plight of poor women um and as president he made like 200 grand a year as president and he donated 90 percent of his salary to single mothers um and he's not getting into this as a rich guy, you know, like he's not like a millionaire becoming the president. Um, he took right. enough to like live in the house that he'd occupied most of his life um, and gave all of the rest to like single moms, um, which is dope. And he had he has like some land and a bunch of old people live on it and don't pay rent. Like he's he's, <laughs> he's, a, he's a pretty like he's yeah, everything right. about his life is very much in concert with the things that he's saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to not like him. And yeah, you're making it hard. It's hard it's not to even the people who are very critical of him like him personally. It's very hard not to like yeah. him personally. Uh, despite being tortured in prison, he seems to generally support the amnesty for the military, um, which I find mm-hmm. really interesting. His attitude is that because a lot of people are very critical of this, and I'm not saying it's the right or the wrong policy. Obviously, people who like had friends murdered or tortured by the military will have issues with the amnesty. I think I would. Right. Um, Jose's attitude as someone who was hurt as much as anybody by the military was that the men who harmed him were not doing it themselves. They were tools of a system. And that system was his actual enemy. 
Um, there also seems to be beyond his ideological justifications, I think a dimension of emotional pragmatism to this attitude. As he told mm-hmm. The Economist in an interview, I do not hate. Do you know what a luxury it is to not hate? And so I think there's an element of like, I, this is the only way I can continue as a, I have to not hate them. Yeah. Like I have to not hate them because otherwise it would destroy me. Um, and it's, it's, I'm now that I am out of prison, I have the luxury of not hating. It's the thing that I enjoy most about freedom is I don't have to hate anymore. Is I think kind of what he's saying, which is yeah. pretty profound actually, I think. Um, no, and it also, I mean, it's funny cause then it's like, well, it's the anti-carceral thing is like, you you mm-hmm. the only defense for prison is to stop people from doing things right yeah. and these people are no longer part of a system that is capable of doing yeah. these things so they're no longer capable of committing the harm that they did commit yeah so in some ways i i don't see what would myself speaking yeah. as the president yeah. of uruguay yeah um you know i that makes sense to me. Yeah, it it totally makes sense. Um, I like, could also I, understand other people being fucking mad. I don't think I would be as good a person as him in his situation <laughs> if I'd been locked up and tortured for 14 years. I would yeah. want to be as good a person as he is. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but Maybe yeah. some Catholic in there after all. And it's interesting because there's a number of like, there's one interview I found with him where he talks about how not all the guards were terrible. A number of them would like smuggle in food for us or like gifts for us or like mm-hmm. things to like make us more comfortable. And so as much as the torture was a part of like, I blame like most of the crimes on the system, but I recognize that the people in it were also humans. And like, I wouldn't want to just like paint them all with one brush. He's very nuanced when he talks about this stuff in a way that mm-hmm. is impressive for someone who suffered so much under that regime um you really get a sense of how different he is from like a normal politician when you read articles by journalists who actually meet with him this passage from the Mm -hmm. guardian is emblematic of the whole mujica emerged from his tiny house dressed in a fawn fleece and gray trousers with sandals over socked feet the fleece is an improvement which can be credited to his 2009 campaign team who weaned him off tattered jumpers age has made his features both more pinched around the eyes and fleshier around the edges his thick shock of graying hair was neatly brushed another habit he acquired while running for president manuela a three-legged mutt hopped gamely along the one-story house lies half hidden by greenery its corrugated metal roof resting on pillars around a narrow walkway full of dusty crates and jars winter rain highlighted the patchy plasterwork mind the mud the president warned by way of greeting the narrow elongated front room contains a cheap office chair and desk bookshelves a small table with two uncomfortable wood-backed chairs a roaring log stove and an ancient immaculately restored Peugeot bicycle i've had that bicycle for 60 years he said proudly recalling his days as an amateur racer my like, <laughs> my god Mujica could live in the presidential palace a hundred year old mansion in the old money prado district but he would rather be here we think of it as a way of fighting for our personal freedom he said if you complicate your life too much in the material sense a big part of your time goes to tending that that's why we still live today as we did 40 years ago in the same neighborhood with the same people and the same things you don't stop being a common man just because you are president <laughs> I think he might be incorrect about that in terms yeah, of I, the ability to exert power. He's too nice, but, but yeah, yeah. But I appreciate the like, yeah. Well, and one of the one of the criticisms we're getting to like the critiques of him by the left, but one is that he's he's mm. bad at using power. He's too much of, and that's part like he mm, makes a lot mm, of compromises mm. with the neoliberals and with like the conservatives, especially in economic stuff, because he's not very authoritarian. Like he's not yeah. good at that. Like that's one of the really trenchant criticisms of his time as president is he's like actually bad at forcing his way into things. He's too much of like a little too much of an anarchist. Um, <laughs> When foreign journalists interview Pepe about his past as a freedom fighter, he refuses to apologize for the violence that he took part in. Mujica even expresses scorn for what he calls beatific pacifism and added, the only things I regret are those I could have done, but didn't. Which is like incredible. <laughs> it's a flex. I wish I'd robbed more banks. I wish I'd robbed another couple of banks. <laughs> you know? It's not too late. It's not too late, Jose. <laughs> no one's going to stop you at this point. <laughs> In part one, I told you the story of two kids Mujica held up at gunpoint while he was threatening to murder their dad. And again, the young kid he held up, Menis, told the Guardian that he voted for Mujica, saying, I might be expected to feel bitter about him, but he's the only one who practices what he preaches. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, yeah, he robbed me at gunpoint and tried to kill my stepdad, but he's an honest man. <laughs> you know? I mean, 
it's it is it, it's honest yeah. to just actually exert that power as yeah. compared to like hiding behind mm-hmm. this or that institution yeah. yeah he never like had goons do shit for him he was out there yeah. Now, given that Jose Mujica has not, in fact, destroyed the state or the system he railed against as a young man, you will not be surprised to hear that his largest detractors and the most trenchant criticism against him comes from the left. And the leftists who critique him have a lot of very fair points. Uh, I found a New Republic article by a journalist who traveled to Uruguay and talked with left-wing organizers, political leaders, journalists, and came up with a very critical article. His was kind of in response to The Guardian saying the most radical presidency. This Mm -hmm. New Republic journalist is like, well, let's go see how radical it really is. Um, And the radicals in Uruguay says not at all. Um, They all kind of seem to agree that he's a very nice man. Nobody seems to believe that he's like lying and like hiding his like life as a rich person. Um, But that that didn't make him an effective president. Um, They point out that most of the things that he was elected to do did not happen. He pushed for a massive educational expansion uh, that would include a flood of new technical universities for poor kids. But actually making that happen meant ramming laws through the still very splintered and gridlocked Congress. And Mujica, as a political outsider and is not good at being authoritarian, was unable to do that. Um, he did succeed in getting laptops for like Uruguayan school children, um, which is like mm-hmm. one of the big things that his administration would brag about. But test scores, I think, mostly still continued declining during this period. The issues that the Uruguayan public school system had 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 didn't he didn't fix the problem, um, even though that was like the main thing he harped on in his campaign. And I'm going to quote from the New Republic here. The story was the same on other policy fronts. Mujica wanted Uruguay's public railway utility to operate under private sector rules to boost efficiency. Nothing happened. He tried to pass a new tax on the big landowners to help the poor, but failed to ensure that the legislation would be constitutional. The Uruguayan Supreme Court struck it down. If he had taken the opportunity to consult more specialists in law, he wouldn't have failed, said Garcet, the political scientist, but Mujica isn't too worried about the legal aspects of things. One morning over coffee, I spoke to a former Mujica staffer named Conrado Ramos, a budget wonk who looks like a sad Hugh Grant. He had been in charge of an effort to reform the Uruguayan public sector. Mujica said he would make it a priority, Ramos recalled, but that was part of the problem. Mujica's pan-enthusiasm placed everything, and consequently nothing, at the top of his agenda. From time to time, Pepe would wheel unannounced into Ramos's office and get excited, unfurling beautiful language about the big changes needed. But he doesn't know how to plan. Mujica appointed as Ramos's boss the disinterested son of a former Tupamaro, and appeared to forget the issue. After several fruitless years, Ramos quit in frustration, embarrassing the administration. And again, it's like... I think it's a mix of he's probably a little ADHD and maybe yeah. a little too much of an anarchist uh, to be good at making things work in a system. Uh, well, it's like it's in, in its way, it's this almost this brilliant critique of state and state mm-hmm. power because finally everyone's like, well, if you had the right person mm-hmm. in charge and like, so you finally have the right person. This in is, charge it and, doesn't get writer as presidents go. It, it doesn't yeah. get writer. Yeah. And he can't do anything. Yeah. I mean, he could do he things, does but things only by like, not yeah. being, but by not being the right person anymore yeah. would be the ways that he would, so it's like this kind of interesting, this is what you all claim mm-hmm. we need to do is, yeah. is get the, no, and the, it, the system bicycle riding guy. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. It's the, it's the, like everybody loves, like, I think one of the things that endears a lot of people to Bernie Sanders, you see a picture of him in his house and he's got like the chair with yeah. crap stacked on it, which you never see yeah. a politician have. And it's like, oh, he's yeah. a human being. He's at least a person. And maybe right. if a person was president, things would be better. And some things are. Uh, I think the I think the left and especially this new Republic article goes too hard against him. For one thing, it's interesting. I've talked a lot about what the kind of liberal and centrist sources leave out when mm-hmm. they're reporting on this. The New Republic, as they're critiquing him, and we're we're going to read more critiques, doesn't note that like uh, unemployment dropped by half under him. Um, and maybe that's maybe <laughs> yeah. they're being fair that like well that was there was it was an economic boom you know he doesn't get credit for like like everything. There's every time there's good stuff that happens, it's like well but he shouldn't get credit for that or this. But it's like well. I think you're going a little far here, but still, they have other trenchant critiques that I'm going to continue to read. So the progressives and leftists interviewed by the New Republic have two main arguments. Mujica accomplished few of his actual policy goals, and while he both lived very consistently to his values, and he said wonderful things about anti-consumerism, the horrors of capitalism, he didn't stop them, and he didn't try to stop them in particular. The article Uh quotes a journalist, Mauricio Rabuffetti. I agree with absolutely everything Mujica has to say about materialism, he told me. I believe inequality and consumerism are damaging to society. It was exciting and fascinating to me then that this man became our president, but he has done nothing. 
He later added, he's always saying he's a fighter. He's a fighter. So his failure is something that's very hard to understand and hard to forgive. And they critique him by pointing out like how much, how many more designer stores there are in Montevideo, how much the fact that inequality has grown, the fact that people are increasingly obsessed with like Western, like consumerist things, electronics and all this stuff. And like, he didn't stop that. And it's like, yeah, he didn't. How could he have <laughs> like, like that is because right. it is like, yes, it is fair to say it's frustrating that this guy maybe didn't destroy the system when he talked about how the system clearly didn't need to keep existing, but also like, what was he supposed to do? And and this is, I think one of the things, if you're going to be really fair, you have to note he was elected president at age 74 after 14 years in prison and getting shot six times. And I kind of yeah. think part of his attitude is like, yeah, there's a bunch of shit, fucked up shit that I'm not going to be able to fix or do anything about. And I will talk about it as if it's bad. And then I will engage with the system because I am too old to be a gorilla and I'm going right. to try to help people. Um, and you can feel about that the way you want, you know, it's a compromise for sure. And, and, it's a compromise made by a man who did uncompromising things for a very long time. And, uh, yeah. And I'm like, like I said, not in a good place to lay any judgment I, on decisions that this man makes. You I know? think we can analyze it while saying like, <laughs> I, I would be willing to bet that virtually no one could go through what he did and not have his outcome be the best case scenario. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like that That's kind of where I land on this. And for where it, what it's worth, Mujica addresses the, the, the fact that like, yeah, he didn't destroy cat. He didn't stop consumerism. He, he talks mm-hmm. about that a lot. He talks about the, the, he's, he like very openly in interviews will address kind of the inconsistencies with his beliefs and what he's doing as president. And I'm going to quote mm-hmm. from that guardian article again, quote, the man who inspired by Guevara once blew up factories owned by four, now offers them tax breaks. I need capitalism to work because I have to levy taxes to attend to the serious problems we have. Trying to overcome it all too abruptly condemns the people you are fighting to suffering so that instead of more bread, you have less bread. And he's like, he talks about like, you know, because he's like, he's been in a bunch of photos with Hugo Chavez and stuff. And he's like, but also Venezuela's system doesn't work very well. Um, yeah. And I, I don't think the U.S. system works very well either. I'm just trying to like, I'm not, I was not elected to overthrow the government and destroy the the system as it exists and build a new one. And I'm too old and tired to do it. So I'm just trying to help people have more bread because I feel like that's all I can do. Um, not all the Tupamaros have accompanied Mujica on his journey to soft, pragmatic socialism. They left their ideals in their prison cells, the former hostage George Zabalza proclaimed recently. Some old compañeros won't understand, Mujica said. They don't see our battle against people's everyday problems, that life is not a utopia. And that's interesting. So there are former Tupamaros who are like, you're, you fucking, you, you sold out, you know, like yeah. we were, we were supposed to overthrow the state and you became part of it and you are willingly working with the capitalists, working with the conservatives. And like, that was never the plan. And yeah. Mujica's response is, and that's, that is a fair criticism. That is what happened, right? You can morally land wherever yeah. you want on that. That is objectively what happened. Um, and Mujica's, def- I guess, moral defense is like, yeah, that's true. And I get why you, you're angry, but. I can, I think I can help people and we're not living in a utopian situation. So I'm going to, I'm going to plow the shit, you know, I think that's kind of his attitude. And again, there's a number of ways to feel about that. I'm not going to tell you how to feel about that. I don't know how I entirely feel like it's a complicated issue, but he's not, he's not denying the inconsistencies. He's not pretending that he's the same. Um, He is acknowledging like, yeah, I kind of sold out because I thought I could do these good things. And I, I yeah. do, you have to respect that to some extent, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a, I can see it. It's like, it's one of those things where it's like, I, I don't, I don't imagine that's like what I would nope. hope for someone, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I can see it. And it's a lot more interesting to me than the people who sell out by, I don't know, just entirely abandoning their values. Yeah, like, like the Kristen Cinema, where you're like in black yeah. block at the WTO protests in 2008, and then yeah. voting for austerity with Joe Manchin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> he doesn't. He doesn't do that. Um, it's a perfect. And you know who else doesn't vote with Joe Manchin? <laughs> oh, oh gosh. 
some um, of the products and services that yeah, support our Yeah, I was going to say, can you really verify that? Yeah. <laughs> some of the products and services supporting our podcast uh, do not uh, vote alongside Joe Manchin. And that's about as good as you're going to get, guys. Look, <laughs> come on. Fair. Life's I not a Joe utopia. Manchin wasn't a real person. I thought Joe Manchin was like, Joe the plumber, yeah. Joe who lives in a mansion. Mm-hmm. It took me for Joe Mansion. That That's like very funny, Margaret. That's it is funny that like one of the men repeatedly holding back any attempts to address inequality in the United States is you. You could you could call him Joe Mansion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is kind of funny. I didn't think about that. Um, all right. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild minigames. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent, only in theaters May 17th. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm to front door model of transparency, where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Oh, we're back. So (laughs) continuing, because we have actually a bit more kind of grinding through the different sides of how to look at this man to get through, because I think he's fascinating. And I think what he represents is fascinating. And I think it's incredibly important for leftists, especially leftists who like dream of some sort of revolution to engage with the Tupamaros and Mujica and the journey that they went on. Um, yeah. I think that's there's tremendous it's tremendously important to at least try to understand it and come to your own conclusions about it because it's not a common situation. And I think very worth studying as a result of that. Um, I'm going to quote read another quote from a little bit later in that same article. Globalization's glaring failure, Mujica said, is a lack of political oversight. It is bad because it is only governed by the market. It has no politics or government. National governments are only worried about their next next elections, but there are a series of global problems that no one deals with. That does not mean capitalism has won outright. I don't think it inevitable that the world should live in capitalism, he told me. That is the same as not believing in man, and man is an animal with many defects, but also with many startling capabilities. Is interesting guy um yeah uh that new republic article critical of mujica saves its most most trenchant criticism of the man for a passage in which it lays out the achievements of his predecessor vasquez who also followed Mm -hmm. mujica so you can't do subs you can't do one term after the other as president vasquez is the president before mujica and the president after i'm going to read a quote about him and i think the new republic i don't know the catholic leftist yeah the catholic leftist i don't know generally i'm not super up on the new republic i think they're a little bit more state socialist kind of authority driven uh than i am that's my impression yeah but i i'm not trying to 
Yeah. You, you get that in this quote because they're, they are critiquing him for the things that we've laid out. Um, and some, you can read that. It's a good article. You should read it. I don't agree with everything in it, but it's a good article. Um, and they contrast his failure to overcome a lot of gridlock with this guy Vasquez. Quote, in fact, there is a politician in Uruguay who accomplished some of the same kinds of goals people hoped Mujica could ca- tackle. His name is Tabare Vesquez, an oncologist. He preceded Mujica as president and will succeed him again come March. In 2005, he inaugurated the first left-wing government since the country's dictatorship and took great strides towards restoring the Uruguayan social safety net, rebooting Baze's national health care system, expanding welfare, and making Uruguay the first nation in the world to fully implement the One Laptop Per Child program. He managed the these successes thanks to a political persona as authoritarian and charmless as Mujica's were gaily anarchic and alluring. With a ruff of silver hair, basset hound eyes, and a smile just on the wrong side of lascivious, Vasquez exudes the unsettling aura of a Mr. Rogers impersonator who performs in porn. He rarely consults others on political decisions and projects arrogance in his certitude. Faced with the same constraints all modern presidents face with their power, he just goes around them. When Vasquez decided to ban smoking in public buildings, something that was really important for him as an oncologist, Rebuffetti, the journalist said, he didn't involve Congress at first. Instead, he used Uruguay's version of an executive order. The unilateral move prompted a flurry of outrage about personal liberties, and the Uruguayan legislature could have subsequently overturned it. But ultimately, the policy established a new status quo that its opponents decided they didn't want to waste time and political capital to fight. So again, it's, um, you know, I think there's, that's, 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 again, not you can think about that whatever you want. I think it's probably factually a broadly accurate statement. Yeah. And I get why I get why that is a criticism. And it, it's probably it's worth saying that, like, yes, an authoritarian as president will get more done than a guy who's kind of more egalitarian and consensus driven, you know, yeah. um, obviously. And there's good things about that and bad things about that, in part because, like. I, you know, maybe uh, this guy Vasquez, the executive order use and stuff that sets a precedent that can be bad when the conservatives get back into right. power and they got back into power in 2020. So, like, you know, it's never none of this is I, I, I simple, you know, um, it's also worth noting that, like, this article doesn't note that Vasquez vetoed a gay marriage bill. Um, and that that was something that <laughs> happened not. because uh, Pepe was in power because he's an authoritarian. And also, he, yeah, he believes that he should be able to do what he wants. Yeah. And like. You know, it's like, I don't want my government to dom me, you know, (laughs) like, but it's all, I think maybe if you want to engage with it, even a little more nuanced. And again, this is just something that maybe this is partially Mm -hmm. the case that like, if you're trying to change society, maybe it helps to have people who are broadly politically aligned and have an authoritarian and then a guy who's not authoritarian and kind of like, so that you're not trending too hard in that direction and you can then the like pepe is better at building social consensus i don't know maybe that's mm-hmm. accurate maybe that's not um it strikes me that there's a benefit from vasquez going to pepe afterwards like certainly within uh, the the matter of gay rights and some other issues um yeah, because there's more a different ratcheting system yeah like, yep. in, in the u.s we have a rightward ratcheting yes. system where the republicans push things to the right and the democrats yeah. don't do shit and then repeat yeah. yeah and then i could i could see yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah I, I don't think it. anyone does know, but I think yeah. like that's something to maybe consider. It doesn't. It doesn't seem to be worse than the way things have been going in the United States. No, <laughs> like <laughs> if I'm comparing it to my government, this sounds all right, you know. Yeah, by yeah. comparison, this this like method of things is like, well, that that's okay, you know. Right. I wouldn't. I would have probably. I would definitely have more critiques were I living in Montevideo. Um, right. But that's always the case. Uh, yeah, um, and I, I will note that, like, in fairness to the author of that New Republic piece, in addition to being coming down very much on the sort of critical of Pepe, Vasquez is, uh, was a better president. He also does some work in this article that I don't think a lesser journalist would have done in his position, because um, he actually went and spent a lot of time in, like, cripplingly poor neighborhoods in Uruguay after talking to these, like, leftists. And again, the, the guys that we've been quoting from so far, these journalists and these, like, I think they're mostly, like, middle class, kind of, and and upper like leftist sort of thought leaders and he also spends time among the very poor and what they tell this guy is very different from what kind of the activists he talked to told him Mm -hmm. quote 
Of course he understands us better, Almiron said, blinking perplexedly, as if my question itself, whether Mujica had been good for the poor, was not even worth asking. She'd received me in a dark but startlingly pretty anteroom in the shack she'd built, its floorboards mere planks over the slum's oft-liquid earth. Eagerly, she showed me paintings she'd done on the shack's walls, stylized fairy images reminiscent of Tinkerbell, and the new wardrobe and table in her bedroom. The wardrobe she'd recently been given through a work-for-housing program sponsored by Mujica's government, the table she'd subsequently made on her own. She gave Mujica credit for both interventions. Living in elective poverty himself, he appreciates the importance of something seemingly as simple as a clean place to keep one's clothes. Once, Mujica had come to visit the neighborhood and seen Almiron's shack. He'd asked her a question that had stuck with her ever since, affecting how she thought of herself and her five boys and girls. Does every child of yours have a mattress of his own? Almiron had never considered this. She works at a slaughterhouse and has barely enough to get by. But, she explained, Mujica thinks every kid has the right to privacy with his own fantasies. She had started saving for those beds. The policymakers and opinion setters I'd spoken to had been so spittingly certain that Mujica's presidency had failed Uruguay's poor. And four teachers I spoke with who work with them directly believe the opposite. I spent a couple of days touring lower-income schools and neighborhoods, and the view of Mujica I encountered was as different as the view of a city from the street level versus looking down from atop a skyscraper. Everyone, without exception, believed Mujica had improved their lives. Seeing a man who looked like them and lived like them, who even invited them to barbecues at his commune, occupying the land's highest office, had made them feel human again. By noticing them, by speaking to them rather than about them, Mujica had reincarnated them. We are a poor people, Almiron told me with a note of defiance, but we are people at the end of the day. Yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm pretty pro this guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I... I I mean, it's interesting because, yeah, if most of the critiques coming from the left are, oh, you're not good enough at, use, at wielding institutional power. Mm-hmm. And his whole thing is, uh, seems to be a little bit like that's not the thing he's trying to accomplish yeah. is wielding institutional power. That's, it's fucking interesting. It's very interesting. And I, I really recommend some of the, the studies and articles that I've, I've attached to this. Like, he's a fascinating person and like what his journey says about yeah everything about like radical politics is i think really important to to understand and um i also should note uh he took a bunch of people from guantanamo bay um and like like uh, welcomed them into uruguay so that they wouldn't have to be in guantanamo anymore because they were people who like didn't have a state that was willing to take them Um, And then he went on a long rant about U.S. torture and how, like, these people have, like, you destroyed these people uh, for nothing. And, like, this is fucked up. And wasn't just, like, talking about how bad Guantanamo was, but was like, yeah, of course my country will take some of these people. Bring them here. I killed Dan the Strangler. Of course I'll Yeah, I killed Dan the Strangler. Of course I'm going to take prisoners from Guantanamo. Do you know me? (laughs) (laughs) Again, that's the thing, like... Again, I, I and I, I hope nothing we've come across in talking about the criticisms of him is dismissive of those criticisms. I don't right. agree with all of them. And I think the thing that is most admirable about him is that, number one, he never pretends to be perfect or entirely ideologically consistent. And neither were the two right. Pomaros, you know? Right. Um, but he's like, he is pretty ideologically consistent like he's not just going to talk about the plight of single mothers he's going to give them all of his money he's not just going to talk about how guantanamo's bad he's going to make his country take people from guantanamo and and yeah. and rehome them um he's he's uh he's pretty good at that kind of shit um yeah he follows I, his ethical guidelines yeah. instead of ideological guidelines and that's yeah. kind of interesting to me yeah, and I've read some quotes about the Tupamaros now, because like, especially in 2020, like a more conservative government was elected. There's a lot of like uncertainty about what's going to happen to the education system. Like, I'm not getting into that as much as like I'm. I just got up to speed on like the broad strokes of Uruguayan political history. Mm-hmm. I don't want to like pretend to be any kind of an expert, but um, I've read some quotes about the Tupamaros where it's like, yes, they're in politics now. They also still have guns, and they're like, <laughs> like they're they're flexible, like they're ready to go ba- if they have to. They'll go back and like do the thing that they were doing like you know they they're not they're they're, they're never like we're a hundred percent for electoralism just like when they were mm-hmm. terrorists they're not they weren't a hundred percent for terrorism like they're right. real good at kind of flowing and making yeah. ethical exceptions and stuff which i think makes them very interesting to me yeah yeah no that's 
Yeah, I had no idea what to expect with any of this. So this is, yeah. I think it's broadly, again, Uruguay still has plenty of problems. This is a, 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 an ongoing story. Um, yeah. But I think the sweep, why this is a Christmas non-bastards episode, is the sweep of this history is um a pretty I, inspiring may not be exactly the right word, but like hopeful. Yeah. Because it's it's actually slow work to yeah. change society. Yeah. And people think it's slow work like seize power and then excuse mm-hmm. the fact that you've taken power yeah. from saying, well, of course it's, it takes forever. We have to hold on to power. But instead the like slow work of like just trying to be good in all of the situations that you've put yourself into and, and realizing that what it means to be good by your own standards yeah. might change depending on sometimes it means there's, you know, sometimes some, it means robbing people. Some, yes. Yeah, sometimes it may mean assassinating a CIA torture. Sometimes it may mean giving documents you stole to a prosecutor who you trust agrees with you on that single issue, at least, um, you know, like that's what they did. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's complicated again. Like you, you should feel about this, however you feel about this, but maybe think about it. Cause it's, it's, there's some stuff in here that's worth thinking about. <laughs> like, yeah, I think for the left trying to find its way at this present point in time where things are very scattered and fragmented in ugly, sharp ways. And, um, there's a lot of ideological infighting at a time when we're all kind of staring extermination in the face. These are probably some people to look at and be like, well, maybe we should learn some stuff from them, right? Not not that you should ever just say whole hog. These guys were perfect and we'll do exactly what they did. But like, let's let's maybe learn some lessons here because I think there are some lessons here. Right. Yeah. Well, one of the lessons is no one ever knows whether or not violent revolution is going to make things better or worse. It seems including including both mass huge uprisings and like targeted assassinations. It's a total crap. It's a complete fucking roll of the dice. Um, And anyone who pretends otherwise is probably dangerously unhinged. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like anyone who pretends this will obviously happen if we do this is a, is a lunatic and you should be scared of them. Um, (laughs) You know? Um, But yeah. uh, I don't know. Cool dude. I think uh, who's as, as an individual person, He's like my favorite of our people since probably uh, Wallenberg because he's just he's very yeah. he's very caring to all of the people around him. And I think that's good. He's I think authentic. He's, he's, I that's think he's a nice man. Yeah. Um, yeah. And my God, do I love the idea of a president who bicycles to work wearing socks and sandals. <laughs> And it's like, and I, I want to be around authentic people more than I even yeah. specifically want to be around people who agree with everything that I'm yeah. saying or do, because it, then you can actually model your decisions based on, mm. well, I expect this person to be morally consistent to their own values, yeah. not to my values, but to their values. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, no, that's, fuck yeah. 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 All right. Well, that's, uh, that's behind the bastards. Um, have a Merry Christmas. Have a happy new year. Um, have a, a dancing Tet. I don't. I don't know enough about Tet, but have a good one of that too. If if uh, you're in Vietnam, you know, have have a good whatever holiday is your next holiday that you're looking forward to. Enjoy it. Um, yep. Oh wait, shit! <laughs> I what? forgot to ask you to plug your pluggables, Margaret. You got any pluggables to plug? Yeah, um, you can find me on the internet. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Magpie Killjoy. I'm on Instagram at Margaret Killjoy. And I have a, a new book. It's actually an old book re-released called A Country of Ghosts that just came out um, that answers the question of, well, it presents one of the many, many different answers to the question of what could a society without mm-hmm. um, authority look like and how could it function. And um, But more than that, it's actually just a story about um, going to go fight people and fun plot things and adventure excellent yeah and it, it is great uh and also a good companion to this piece um because this is i mean this actually happened but it is kind of one way of imagining what happens when anarchists get some of their way uh little bits of it pieces of it um i don't know doorbell just rang oh okay well you go do that and uh everybody else go home you're drunk Mm-hmm. Bye.
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. 